Welcome to the LifeCast. We hope that you find this ministry of New Life Assembly of God as an encouragement to you. You will hear messages and lessons in God's Word by our staff and special guests. Enjoy the podcast. Um, so today, we're going to look at the Scripture. Um, I am going to give you a quick, just a little bit of an overview of Judges chapter 6 through 8. Old Testament, Judges chapter 6 through 8, talks about a man named Gideon. Many of you would know him or know of him, or some of you have heard of him, or you've maybe used a phrase. Was that up here? Sounded like it. It was the drummer. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I thought I heard ringing in my ears. Um, Anyhow, no big deal. So some of you may not know of Gideon, but you may have quoted something that uh, we sometimes say that you wouldn't even know came out of the Scripture. You might say something like, uh, I threw out a fleece. Well, that comes out of this passage. And... uh, You're like, yeah, what's that mean? Well, after today, you might know, and then you can go back and read it on your own. So if you're visiting and I say Judges chapter 6 through 8, and you're like, oh no, he's going to read three chapters of the Bible to us? No, I'm going to give you an overview. But there is some scripture that we're going to refer to and that I will read a little bit later from the book of James. A little history on Gideon, um, well, a little history on God's people. So in this, these chapters, we jump in at a place where God's people sinned and were sinning against God again. You say that? Again. Again. And... So, how many of you know what it is to kind of resist God or not obey Him, and you struggle, and you, how many of you? Come on, put your hand up. Never? Never? Oh. Now, see, that was sarcasm, just so you're not concerned that, you know, she's really righteous, and, you know, you're going to point something out to her. Um, yeah. How many of you... Allowed sin to linger for a period of time. Yeah. Yeah. How many of you allowed sin to linger for a time even after you came to faith in Christ and you were letting it live in here? Good. We have only half the group are liars. (laughs) Only half of you. Listen. So here they are, they're, they're sinning. And so God allowed them to be disciplined by neighboring people or nations. And so for seven years, God, to some degree, turned his people over to be um, hindered, oppressed, destroyed to some degree by the Midianites and the Amalekites. And for seven years, where 
Their life was oppressed. It was not free. And they finally had enough. Whoo! All of you who have come to Christ, aren't you glad for the point you came to set? I've had enough of this life. I've had enough of my guilt, my shame, my hurt, my pain. We come to our senses. Prodigal son, right? Had it good, came to his senses. They come to their senses, and they start to cry out to God. Finally, after seven years, they were disobeying and sinning against God. They were putting things in their life as a higher priority than God. Even to the point, get this, even to the point where it crept along that they were overtly now worshiping Baal and other foreign gods. Imagine that. You know, Paul writes about don't even leave a hint of sin because that little bit, it starts to grow. And it grows. You know how bad something can get if we leave it alone for seven years to linger in our life? becomes unmanageable and sometimes it becomes obvious and now it creeps out of the closet where it's not so private anymore it begins to corrupt who we are and it takes us so much further away from where we were when we were on track right relationship with God and so this is what's happening with with Israel and When they started to cry out to God, God raises up a man named Gideon. Now, you can go through the story. I'm not going to paraphrase every part of this for you. You can read these three chapters on your own. But an angel of the Lord comes and meets with Gideon, has conversation with him. And out of this conversation, Gideon begins to be changed. He goes from hiding to now having hope and wrestling through that hope and that faith that what the angel of the Lord has called him to do and become and that God is going to deliver God's people from the hand of the Midianites and the Amalekites. Going to deliver them. But it starts here. The story starts here. He says to Gideon, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get two bulls, and I want you to go tear down that big old altar to Baal, where the people would come and worship. I want you to tear down that altar to Baal. And I also want you to cut down the Asherah pole that stands next to it. Another idol. Doctrines of demons leads people to gross and offensive sin, comes to kill and destroy and steal from them, because after all, that's what the enemy of our soul does, right? And so, Gideon does this. Now, he did fear the people. I get that. So he went with a few of his servants and they tore it down at night. 
tore the alt, destroyed the altar of Baal, tore it down, and cut the Asherah pole down. We think that as believers, we think, oh, that's good. But that's only, that's only part one. Part two is, on top of that, he builds an altar to God. Tears down what people were doing as a priority before God. You mean we're not supposed to worship other gods before him, right? Ten Commandments. And so he goes and tears this down, but then he does step two. He builds an altar, and he takes the wood from the Asherah pole and the other altar. He takes all of this, and he uses it to make a fire under and upon the altar of God, and he sacrifices one of the bulls to God. You have to read about it because morning comes and the people go, who did this? I'm not going to paraphrase this part for you. You have to read it. I'm not going to give you all three chapters here. You got to read it. You know, the morning after, what goes down? And so this is what's happening. Experience with God, tears down an altar, receives this call, an appointment, an empowerment. He builds an altar to God. And now the the Midianites and the Amalekites start to gather themselves to come up against God's people. God's people. And and Gideon, he he puts out the call that we're going to go to battle. About 33,000 of God's people and relationships with others, they come and gather to go to battle against the Midianites and the Amalekites, who they've been living under their oppression for seven years, remember. They call on God. Gideon, the angel of the Lord raises up Gideon. Gideon tears down the Baal worship, idol worship, erects an altar to God, sacrifices to God. Now the call comes to Gideon um, through a circumstance that the Midianites and Amalekites are coming and God says, I want you to lead uh, my people and I will bring you victory. Say it, I will bring you victory. victory. Say it to a couple people around you. I will bring you victory. This is God speaking through them right now. I will bring you victory. Say it to them again. I don't know what you face, but I'm saying that, you know, they're facing something really big here. And if God can do this, he can solve your problem. You'll have some responsibility in it. We'll go over that later. And so... God says to Gideon, 33,000 people. Now, when you got 33,000 people and you're going to battle, I would say that, you know, you look around 33,000 people, that kind of gives you a little hope, right? And God says, hey, Gideon, um, that's too many people. 
No, no. We want more people. <laughs> right? God, we go, that's not God's voice. I'm, I'm not hearing him. That's, that's somebody else's voice. I don't know. What, he says, no, you got too many people. And he says, because I don't want anyone to say, we did it. Because remember, whose battle is it? It's his battle. It, your battle that you call your it's his battle. He says, I will deliver you from the hand of these people. I will deliver you. I will bring you victory. He's gonna do it. So whose battle is it? It's his. So he says, too many people. So they get the 33,000 and they share the, they share the news. <laughs> he says, <laughs> says, okay, all of you who are afraid, you're fearful, go home. Fear is not a great thing in this context. Okay? Fear in the context of respect, like don't put your hand on a hot burner. Yeah, that, that's wise. But in the context of battle, fear, that's no good. Fear, we doubt. Fear, we have no confidence. Fear, we're not ready to do our part. We're apprehensive. We hesitate, right? All of those things. You ever play sports on a team? Oh, yeah, we're going against that team. They got a bunch of huge farm boys. We're just, you know, we're from city. We're just tiny little guys. You know, they're undefeated. Look how big they are. And we're only, uh, you know, we're, we're six and eight. And, you know, we just, oh, you know, and you, we're going to run that play. Oh, no, I'll never block that guy. They're just going to run out. You know, is that the guy you want in your huddle? That's not the guy I want. I want the guy in the huddle that says, hey, remember, the bigger they are, the harder they fall, right? That's who we want in the huddle. So he says, all of you who are fearful, go home. 33,000 to start with. And uh, he's left with about 10,000. <laughs> That's a lot of fear in the camp. But they left. God says 10,000. Okay, we, you know what? That's still too many. That's where I say, hey, can we talk privately for a second? I want to conference this out. He says, still too many. He says, uh, I'm going to tell you who to choose. This one stays, this one goes. And then I want you to take them down to the water. Tell them to have a drink. And he says, those who kneel all the way down and drink right out of the, the water, he says, you send them home. The ones who kneel down and cup the water and lap it like a dog... He says, those, those guys stay. That turned out to be 300. 
33,000 to 300. That's like less than 1%. You know what God can do with 1%? You know what he can do with a mustard seed? You know what he can do with just one whisper of pure faith? You know what he can do with a man who was hiding and bring him to be a leader of a nation? Gideon? Just imagine what he can do for you, in you, and through you. Faith. The size of a mustard seed. Pretty small when you hold it up to the mountain you face. But he knows how to bring every mountain laid low. And he knows how to take a seed like this and grow it into strong, big, fruitful, more seeds for others to eat. They go to battle, and now this is the tactical plan. Here are the weapons that they're supposed to bring. Some are supposed to bring trumpets. <laughs> trumpets. Some are supposed to bring jars. <laughs> Everybody's supposed to bring their voice because it will involve shouting. And they're supposed to bring a torch. These 300, they go down and get around the camp of the Midianites and Amalekites. You can read about it. I'll just tell you that they win the battle because it's the Lord's battle to the point that the other armies ran, left, fled, went away, and some of them got so confused that they drew their own sword and killed each other. Do you ever see that in a football game? Do you ever see the defensive tackles and defensive guards and the middle linebacker, all of a sudden they just start hitting each other? Pray it happens today as the 49ers go against... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Hey! I'll tell you what, when you trust the Lord and you obey him, he does things sometimes in a very unconventional way. Because that's our God. He can do more than we can ask or imagine. He's bigger than that. He is bigger than your imagination. He's greater than that. He's better than that. What can you dream about? What can you fathom? He's greater. Listen, when it talks about our life of victory, I want to give you just five quick things, and we're going to go back into an opportunity to worship. A life of victory, and I want us to pick this out of Gideon's experience, out of his life. 
First of all, he had an experience. Remember the angel of the Lord? He had an experience with God. You and I, to start this life of victory, we have to have an experience with God, with His Son Jesus, with the Holy Spirit. We have to have an experience with Him first. That's where this starts. Coming in contact with Him. Calling to Him. Listening to Him. Talking with Him. Being with Him. An experience with Him. I mean, that's what happened for Moses, right? Remember where he was? In the Egyptian palace. On his way to be Pharaoh. (laughs) And now, because of an experience with God and having enough of sin and corruption and all of that, experience with God, and it's... Changed the course of his life. It changed directions. Hey, you can look at Apostle Paul in the New Testament. I mean, this, this book is chock full of people who had an experience with God and it redirected their life. This room is chock full of people who have had an experience with God somewhere and it, your life took a whole new direction. Apostle Paul in the New Testament, Jesus shows up, speaks to him. He was out approving the killing of Christians, and then, through this experience with Jesus, he becomes one. Change. First thing is experience with the Lord. Gideon had it. Second thing is, he tore down, out of this experience, he tore down altars. Things that were more important to people than the living God. Okay, this is where we're going to get a little personal this morning with you. He's going to get personal with you and with me. Tearing down altars, things that are more important in people's lives that they put it as a priority before God. This is not a new message. Those who've been around Christianity and the church for a long time, you've heard this. You've heard this. You've probably said these things. He tears it down. But remember, that's only step one. He then built an altar to God. It wasn't just tearing down the bad. It was now building and repairing that which was right. I mean, if he convicts you of sin, and you say, okay, I'll stop the sin. I'll stop doing that, or I'll not have that attitude anymore. Well, that's great. But that's only part of it. Because now we're supposed to move forward and take steps to allow his spirit to come in and launch us in a totally different direction and way of life. And now it's to sow to the Spirit. It's to seek Him. It's to follow Him. It's not just cutting the bad stuff off. It's about taking in the good. That's what He did to make God number one in their life, in His life, our life. You know, the altar is a very interesting place throughout Scripture. And it's a very interesting place 
in the life of the church. Those of you who grew up Pentecostal, full gospel, uh, four square, I mean, there's some other fellowships and denominations where, you know, the front of the church is called the altar, and it's a, it's a place where we sacrifice ourselves. Uh, God reveals to us. We talked about this last Wednesday night. I want you to know there's a bunch of people up at the altar praying for us. Now, how many of you grew up in Pentecost? Put your hands up. Put it high. Put it up high. Pentecost. Okay. So in Pentecostal realms, you've heard things like altar call. If you want to believe in Jesus, you want to convert to Christ, come to the altar. It's a call to come to the altar. And this is where you can confess your sins And I'll ask God to forgive you and have him fill you. And you get to meet with him. And you get this opportunity to do an outward expression of an inward decision. And we do that in our life every day. We have outward expressions of an inward decision. But all of a sudden when it comes to faith and being in the church, we go, I'll do the inward decision, but no outward expression. Faith was never meant to be like that. Our walk with Christ. There are things that are personal and things that are private. But our faith, sorry, uh, it's not about being private. It's personal. But people are supposed to see the transformation of our faith in Christ. So the altar has been a very busy place in the Scripture and in churches or fellowships that allow ministry to happen at the altar where people can actually come, be prayed for, or people can come and receive, or people can come and confess. People can, you know, all kinds of ministry of Jesus happens at the altar. I've seen a lot of you at the altar up here over my 17 years, almost 17 years here. This April, 17 years. 17 years. <laughs> I was young once. <laughs> I was slender once. Anyhow. <laughs> See, a lot of you. And I know that spiritual life, our life, our decision, our commitment to Christ, is engaged only by, you know, how much we're up here. But it's interesting, because I've seen some of you get into trouble and hard times and come out of it. And when you went into it, boy, you were up here. Boy, you were up here. It didn't matter if anybody else came or not. You you were here. And then God delivered you. You still came to church. But you never really come to the altar anymore. Where have you been? Now, when I've been in the congregation and sitting and not doing the preaching or at the service, listen, I don't respond to every altar call, and not every worship time do I jump out and run to the altar. And I know that God can do miracles at the back of the room and in the lobby just as well as He can do them up here. And if that's your argument, hey, have at it. Let me just throw this in the mix while you're figuring it out. I'm glad you have faith that God can do it anywhere, anytime, with anybody, 
any way he wants. Hallelujah. But if we have an attitude within us that says, God's got my address and he can do it back here if he wants to or somewhere else, I don't have to go up there. Now that little attitude in there, who should think they should receive anything from God when an attitude like that exists within me or you or the people around you? The altar is a fantastic place. Those of you who grew up in some church of fellowship that, you know, the the altar was open and you came for healing and you came for prayer, you prayed with people, you came and you were overwhelmed and you just wept or, oh God, I'm in trouble. I didn't even make decisions maybe even to get into this trouble. It just, it happened and it wasn't intentional or maybe it wasn't, and and we go through all, you cry out and God answers or you walk away with an assurance, and as your life unfolds, he fights the battle, and he brings you through and brings you out. You know, this isn't only a place to come when we're in need. He built an altar because God was going to be worshipped. They were looking for deliverance. They were looking for victory. What are you looking for? Is it something like that in your life? You know, certain places we choose to go to, you're hungry, you go to the grocery store, or you go to a restaurant, or you show up at your parents' house. (laughs) Right? You move and go somewhere. You choose. Run low on fuel. Where do you go? You go somewhere. You move. You don't just stay where you are. Well, God knows my vehicle needs gasoline in it. You tear down an altar and you build one. Whatever you're putting before God in your life, put it in its right full place on the priority list. Or if it's something that should not be a part of your life at all, have the courage to disconnect from it. Tear it down and in its place build an altar to God. Because here's the deal. Until Gideon did that, until he did that, until he tore something down and constructed that which is a priority of God himself and the worship of him, until he did that, God's people could not move on. You cannot move on. I cannot move on until I take care of that very business. Got to tear it down and you got to build it. You know, this church has grown over time, God has given us a lot of favor. You know, we got a long way to go. We've grown. I talk to people all the time who've been a part of this church since before I was here or since the earlier days when I was here, and they just, you know, it's the same thing. I am so glad I come to church now. I don't even know, the, I don't even know half the people. I used to know all the people. 
It's grown, and God has brought in new converts. He's brought in those from other places or maybe other fellowships who are looking for a home. And you understand, they didn't necessarily come from a Pentecostal background. We've had people who say, I want to be a member, and I love this church, and I love what happens here, and I want to, I want to step forward in a commitment to it. They don't even know it's a Pentecostal church. They don't know it's Assembly of God. They don't know what Assembly of God even means. They just hear the title and say, yeah, it's a fellowship. I just know what I experience here and, and what the people are like. And you know what? It's not a perfect place, but boy, something's happening for me here. Something's happening in other people around me here. Those of you who know what this is about... How will those who've come in who don't know what it's about ever learn? I don't have time this morning, but those of you who grew up or had something happen in an altar area that was so significant, whether it was at a camp or a convention or a conference or at a church or wherever they had this front or what we call an altar, what was so important? Why was it so significant? Well, what, what was so great? What, what happened for you? What did God say? What did God do? Oh, they'd be full of stories. I've got my own. I came out of a denomination that the altar was a table back up on the platform somewhere, and it was decorated. There was no altar stuff. And it's not a criticism. I'm just saying I came from that. I didn't grow up in this. I mean, I was young when I got converted, but I didn't come from this. And so your life of victory, experience God. Tear down what you put before Him and build an altar in its place to God that He's the priority. Build an altar to God. Then after this, you know, um, out of that, God gives direction and Gideon has to obey. Choose to obey. Choose to obey. Chooses. He gets a call. He receives a call. He has a mission. He has direction. It's, it's faith in action. It's not just believing and no action. You can't have action only. And you can't just have faith only. They are meant to be traveling companions. They go together. Two buddies, if you will. Inseparable. They go together. James says this. I want you to just listen to this. In James chapter 2, I'm going to read some selected verses here. Um, you say, well, how will I know to read that later? Read the whole chapter. It's not that long. And if it was, read it anyhow. Okay. He writes this. What good is it, my brothers, sisters, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have any works, no action? He poses this question. Can that kind of faith save him? Ooh. I have faith. I profess God. I believe in Jesus. But no action. He says, can that kind of faith save you? He asks it because the answer is no. Thank you. <laughs> One man still awake. <laughs> no! 
He goes on and he writes, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith, is, uh, faith apart from works is useless? Do you want to be shown? Foolish person? Don't get mad at me. I mean, you can if you want. I didn't write it. And ultimately, it came from the Lord. And I better pay attention. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And he goes on and he talks about the faith that Abraham had. But you get down to verse 26 and he writes this. For as the body, apart from the spirit. Now, when the spirit leaves a person, their body is what? Just say dead. A few of you whispered it. Just say dead. Okay? Yeah. When the spirit leaves, the body's dead. He uses this example because we all understand it. He says, for as the body is apart from the spirit, it's dead. So also, faith is apart from works, then it is dead. Gideon had to realize through the experience with God, through the tearing down of that which was a priority over God in people's lives, builds the priority back that God is, receives a call and a mission and a purpose. And I want you to know that he's called to a purpose and a mission that is impossible for him to do on his own strength. But he chooses to obey God. Works through the questioning, works through the whole faith thing. Can I trust you? Is this really you? He works through the whole fleece thing. Ah, you'll have to read about it. I'm not going to explain it. The victory comes. And when the victory comes in your life, give him all the glory. Because the battle was his. And he delivered you. You did not deliver you. Why don't you stand up with me? Worship team, come on. We're going to sing a couple courses. If you have time to stay, worship him. Make something meaningful happen between you and you. Take steps. Experience God. Listen for a call or a mission. Listen for a, hey, you tear that down. Maybe the reason some of us feel stalled at times in our spiritual walk in the development of our faith or the development of our character, or we feel like, hey, we've had some great victories, and now all we do in our walk of faith is walk around the, the victory hall of fame of our little life. And you're stalled. Or you ran out of juice, or you're weary, or whatever it is, it happens to us. Maybe a time of refreshing and renewal needs to come. You've just been stalled out because you 
You've had some other altar in your life. Or maybe not, but you aren't coming to the altar of the Lord in your life. And I don't mean just this altar. I mean some altar in your life, some place of sacrifice, some place of communing with God, place of worshiping Him. This, this is one of the places. Hallelujah. It's one of the places. Since when did coming to the altar be based upon if I have a need only? They worshipped, you know, at the altar, God's people, when they were walking with them. They worshipped at the altar all the time, whether they had a need or not. It was about Him and getting close to Him and pursuing Him and honoring Him and giving to Him or receiving certainly part of it. Now, we don't have that kind of altar anymore where we're sacrificing animals because the ultimate altar is the cross of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who was slain and His pure blood paid for my sin and yours. That's the ultimate altar. But where's your place of worship? Where's your place of pursuit? Where is your place that is private? And where is that place in public? Not to show off, that's not it at all. It's to help, instruct, encourage others, and really just to worship the Lord. Some of you who have had important things happen in your life, encounters with God at, at, a, at an altar like this somewhere, it would grieve your heart if that practice just went away. It's like, no. Be like the district saying, we're not doing youth camp anymore. What? I love youth camp. This is what happened for me. This happened to my friends. This is where I got my call, where I got baptized, this is where I got healed. This is where I got, you know. I want to disappear. Some in this room don't know what that's like because nobody ever brought them. If we stop this, it disappears in our life. You'll come here on a Sunday and go through the motions and leave. And do you know what that kind of practice will lead to in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, after you're dead and gone from the life that you now know here? You, you know who will be left? Those who you never instructed, those who you never trained, those who you never modeled to, those who never saw, tasted. Right? And they will have other altars in their life before God. They'll still show up. But they will be lost. No encounter, no experience. No ministry flowing out of them to other people. You want victory? You want to progress? You want to move on in your life? Want to get moving again? You take these five things that were mentioned and you apply them. 
you live them out along with the full counsel of his word. And he will, he will deliver you. He'll have victory because it's his battle. But we have responsibility in it. I got to show up. I got to say yes. I got to put some action to it. Got to worship him first. Thanks for joining us on the LifeCast. It is a ministry of New Life Assembly of God in Sparta, Wisconsin. If you are ever in the area, we would enjoy the opportunity of meeting you. Until then, remember, God is for you, not against you.